It's good to see everyone out this morning. I hope and pray that you've had a good day thus far and will continue to have. God has certainly blessed us with a beautiful day to come together and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Last week, we started a two-part lesson that was titled, Things That Are Real. Things That Are Real. And so we want to continue with that message this morning as we look at Luke chapter 16, the account of the rich man and Lazarus. And in that account, we find a lot of things that are real. And so if you will, open your Bibles to Luke 16, and I'm going to read the text first, and then we will look at a few points that are found therein. Verse 19 of Luke 16. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, Son, remember, that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great guff fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What we have just read is an actual happening. There are those that will try to convince you that this is just a parable, that it's not really something that really happened, that it's just a story that Jesus made up to make a point. But as we pointed out last week, that's not the case. Because when you read other parables, you'll notice that People are not called by name. Here you have Lazarus mentioned. You have Abraham mentioned. You know Abraham was a real person. And so why would he use Abraham if he was just telling a story and not something that really happened? Uh, and so what we have Jesus doing here is he is telling of something that happened and he's wanting people to know really what happens to covetous people. Uh, this rich man was one that coveted the things that he had. 
Even if you look back at Luke 16, verse 13, you'll notice in that context that Jesus points out very, very clearly that no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve the Lord and mammon or money, riches, at the same time. This rich man that we're reading about certainly was not striving to serve the Lord in any way, but instead he was in love with his wealth, his riches. And so he was a, a rich man. He was a greedy man. He was not willing to share with those that were needy. God wants man also to know what happens after death. There have been many, many sermons preached on this text, and I'm sure you've heard me preach several and, and teach different things from this text coming from different angles, uh, bringing out some uh, main points that are taught there. But it's, it's a good passage to let us know what happens the moment we die, which is very, a very interesting subject to, to most of us. Uh, we like to know what's next. Uh, or what's coming, or what we can look forward to. Well, this story tells us that. We also see that if if death is really, as some would say, the end of man's existence, then it really does not matter how man lives. Just serve yourself, as many have said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and then it's all over. Well, this story tells us very plainly that there is life after death. And so it is as though uh, Jesus just opens the window and lets us look into the future and to see what is yet to be for us. And so it's a very interesting text to say the least. So we noticed last week uh, three things that we can see from this story that are very real. We notice that the love of money is real. You remember Paul taught that the love of money is the root of all evil or the root of all kinds of evil. This rich man loved his money. He was much like the rich young ruler who went to Jesus and said, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And he said, these have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Well, Jesus knew that this man was in love with his possessions. And so you remember he told him to go and sell all that he had, give the money to the poor, and then to follow him. And you remember he went away sorrowful? You see, man cannot serve two masters. Either you love one to hold the other, hate the one, love and despise the other. And so uh, here we find this man, he loved his riches, his wealth, his possessions. There are many people today just like that. They're very greedy. They're very stingy. They're about piling up more and more. Now, as we mentioned, there's nothing wrong with someone having wealth. We know many godly people in the Bible who God blessed with great wealth, but they used their wealth to the glory of God. They were not like this man. They were not in love with their wealth. They were in love with God. And when a person's in love with God, it's good for that person to have wealth because that person will use that wealth correctly uh, to the glory of God. Also, we notice that poverty is very real. You remember Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. Well, there, there will always be poor people. This man, Lazarus, was very, very poor. I mean, he's like, it looks like an, an extreme like the rich man's at one extreme and Lazarus is at the other. The rich man was exceedingly rich, but Lazarus was very, 
very poor. He was so poor and evidently crippled because he had to be laid at the rich man's gate. And you'll notice he had sores all over his body. He did not have the proper health care that he needed. He was a beggar. He had to beg for to get anything to be able to eat and to sustain himself. And all he was begging for was the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. He would have eaten out of that rich man's garbage can to stay alive. And just think, he was laid at the rich man's gate. Every time the rich man went in and out of his place, he saw that beggar in that condition, very poor, begging. So we see that poverty is very real, but also we noticed last week that death is very real. I know many times we live like we think we're going to live forever. But when we read this story, we see death is no respecter of persons. Doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have, who you are, what kind of fame, how you've lived your life. Death is coming for us all if the Lord tarries. We see that in this story. The Bible teaches that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And then it says, and the rich man also died and was buried. People don't live to be very old these days, do they? I mean, if you live to be 90 or every once in a while, someone lives to be 100 or a little over 100. But, but still, when you compare that with, with in the big picture, that's just a speck in time. We know that the day of our death is coming. Like I said, if, if the Lord doesn't return before for us to meet him in the air, that's a possibility, a very real possibility. But, uh, but if that does not happen, we know that our time is, is coming. Death is very real. Look at these cemeteries. There are new markers being placed in them every day where those dead bodies are being placed. I guess when you're young, you don't think as much about death, but as you grow older, you start seeing more of it and you start thinking more about that day when it will come for you. But we see in this story, death came for both men. Now this morning, let's notice point number four. And that is, we see in this story that hell is real uh, there have been books written trying to convince people that, that hell is not a real place there's no such thing as as dying and then going to hell when we talk about hell in this context we're talking about hades you know there are three greek words that are translated hell hades gehenna and tartarus or tartarus however you want to say it and this context we're talking about the hadean realm Hades, the place where departed spirits await for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're looking at here. We're not looking at Gehenna hell. We're looking at Hades, Hades. And so we notice that both men went to Hades. Notice verse 23 of 16. It says, and in hell, that word is Hades, in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. They were both in the Hadean realm. 
Hades is divided by a great guff. Verse 26. There's a guff there that, that is fixed. It cannot be moved, and one cannot go over it, under it, through it, or around it. It separates, for lack of better words, two compartments in Hades. On one side of the guff, you have paradise. That's what it's called in the Bible. You remember in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, speaking about Jesus, the Bible says, And he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. Jesus died and he went to hell. When you say that, you will surprise a lot of people, but they need to read their scripture closely. That's what the Bible is saying. When Jesus died, he went to hell, but he didn't stay there. And his flesh did not see corruption. When Jesus died, there was a separation that took place between his spirit and his body. His body went into that borrowed tomb for three days. But his spirit went into the Hadean realm, into paradise. Let me show you how I know that. In Luke chapter 23, when Jesus is having the discussion with the thief that was on the cross beside him, in verse 47, after the thief had asked the Lord to remember him when he came into his kingdom, you remember Jesus replied by saying, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He wasn't talking about in that old borrowed tomb, was he? Paradise. Paradise is in Hades or hell. You know, that's exactly where Lazarus went. He went to the same place when he died that Jesus went to at his death. In Luke 16, verse 25, you remember as Abraham is talking there to the rich man after they had died. In verse 25, he said, Abraham said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And so in the Hadean realm, there's a place of comfort, rest, and peace. So when the Bible says Jesus went to hell, it's not saying he went to Gehenna hell. And it's not saying that he went to this place where the rich man was, where he was tormented in fire. No, he went to Abraham's bosom. That's where Jesus went. That's where Lazarus went. And that's where all the faithful of, of past ages that have died, that's where they are today. Their bodies have been placed in the ground, but their spirits are in the Hadean realm. The faithful are in paradise. But on the other side of that great guff, is a place called Tartarus or Tartarus. And that's the same place where the wicked angels that sinned are today. They were cast down from heaven to Tartarus to wait the judgment. Notice, the only time that Greek word is found in the New Testament is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, to Taurus, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And so 
Evidently in heaven, God had his law for those angelic beings. And those that obey God's law uh, will be with God in eternity. But the wicked have been cast out and they are in Hades or hell in Tartarus of Hades. That is the same place where the rich man is today. Bible says in Luke 16, verse 24 and 25, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. Like, and, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. So in, in hell or Hades, the place where people go when they die, there are two compartments. One is known as paradise. The other one is known as Tartarus. One is a place of comfort, rest, and peace. And the other is a place of great torment. Hades is a real place where the spirits of all dead men are. And it's a temporary holding place where they are waiting for the last day. In Revelation chapter 20, when you find uh, God upon that, that great white throne and, and all people are gathered before him at the judgment scene, in verse 13 and 14 of Revelation 20, the Bible says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, that word hell there is Hades, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's Gehenna. And so the Hadean realm is temporary. I don't really see much difference in Tartarus and Gehenna except for Tartarus is temporary holding place. Gehenna is eternal. It's everlasting. And so when people lift up their eyes, being in this place of torment, there's no second chances for them. Those that lift up their eyes in torment will know at that time that they did not make it to heaven. And at the end of time, they will be cast into Gehenna hell. You can read about Gehenna in Mark chapter 9, verse 43 and other places, but that's where Jesus pretty much said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out because it's better to enter into life uh, blind without your eye and then to be cast into Gehenna, to hell, where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's an everlasting place. There's no end to it. And so in this text... God blesses us and lets us see what happens when we die. So there should be no doubt in our minds. Hades is real. And we want to make sure that we live our lives in such a way that when we lift up our eyes, we too will be in Abraham's bosom where all the faithful of all ages will be waiting for the second coming of Jesus. But number five, 
We see in this story that one's remembrance is real, very real. The rich man was reminded of, of how things were before he died. Do you remember verse 25 when Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thou good things and likewise Lazarus evil things? He said, remember. He had a remembrance. Some people have said, you know, when you die, you just, you're just dead or, or you're just, uh, you just lay in the grave until the second coming and you don't know anything at all. You don't know what's going on. You don't know anything. You're just asleep until the second coming. That's not what this passage teaches at all. They were very much alive and they had memories. They could remember what things was like before they died. Some people go to passages like Ecclesiastes 9, 5, where the Bible says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Well, that doesn't mean that when you die, you don't know anything, that you don't have a memory, because that would contradict what we've just studied in Luke chapter 16. Abraham said, son, remember, he had a remembrance. What the passage over in Ecclesiastes 9, 5 is saying is that the people that have died do not know what's going on here right now. That's all he's, that's being said there. You know, a lot of people talk about that great cloud of witnesses or, or their mother, their grandmother, so-and-so is looking down on them and seeing, you know, if they're being good or if they're doing bad. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. The Bible here actually teaches they don't know what's going on down here. They know what was going on when they were here. But they don't know where I am right now, where you are right now, or exactly what's going on. Because they can't see us as many would have us to believe. Because the Bible says they don't know anything. They don't know anything that's going on down here. They can't actually see it as it's happening. They know what was going on when they were here. The rich man also remembered that he had family. Remember in verse 27, once he realized that he couldn't get out of that terrible place, the Bible says, Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify to them that they also... Uh, come that they uh, testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, tell me he didn't have a memory. He remembered that he had family. He remembered exactly how many brothers he had. And he wanted Lazarus to go talk to his brothers so they wouldn't come into that place. And so we see that when we die and we go into the Hadean realm, whether we're in that place of comfort or in that place of torment, we still have our memories. And perhaps that's one of the main things that Peter was talking about in 2 Peter 2, 20-22, when he said you're better off if you never obeyed the gospel than to have obeyed it and to turn from it because you'll have a memory in eternity and you'll remember that you you were saved by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were on your way to heaven, but you turned your back on God. You were so close, but yet so far away when you turned. Number six, we see in this story the need for evangelism is real. Very, very real. The rich man begged Abraham to send Lazarus to his lost family. He said in verse 27, 
Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would have sent him to my father's house. Why? Verse 28, he did not want them to come to that terrible, terrible place. Isn't that something to think about? Here's this man. He lifts up his eyes, this covetous person, this greedy man, this man who refused to put God first, refused to help those in need. He finds himself in this lake of fire. But then he realizes, oh, there needs to be some teaching going on. There needs to be some preaching. Someone needs to, to tell my family about this horrible place, what goes on after death, because there is life after death. There has always been a need for evangelists. There's always been a need for people to teach and preach. You know, in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul said, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? You see, it's a team effort. We work together seeing that the gospel goes into all the world. We need to tell people about what happens after this life is over. We need to warn them about this, this terrible place called Hades and about Gehenna and encourage them not to uh, live in such a way where that will be their homes. In Matthew 9, verse 27 and thir uh, 37 and 38, Jesus said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he will send labors into his harvest. How true is that today? We need laborers, don't we? We need workers. This, as sad as it is, I know for sure, and so do you, that this COVID has cost us a lot of workers. Those who at one time was busy out evangelizing and teaching and, and ministering to other people no longer are. And because of the way things have been, we've probably all slacked off to some degree because of the situation that we have been in. But let us never forget the need to evangelize. Listen, if we don't tell people the truth, who will? The people in this community right here, they're depending upon us. Our mission is to make sure they know or have the opportunity to know the things that we are studying about today, the things that are very real. Think about this. I believe that I can safely say that every individual that is in Tartarus today Every single one of them are concerned about lost souls. You see, while the rich man was on earth and he was living uh, the life and he had all that he had, he wasn't concerned about lost souls. That Nothing could have been further from his mind. But the moment he lifted up his eyes in torment, he thought about himself. And then he thought about, we need evangelists. We need somebody to go teach my family so they don't come to this place. Number seven, the need for repentance is real, very real. The rich man had five brothers and 
they had to repent in order to be saved. If they would not repent, they could not be saved. Luke 16, 30, And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. They had to repent. The rich man knows as he's in torment, even this very hour, he knows that people have to repent in order to be saved. You can't live in the world and live like the world and and be worldly and sinful and, and covetous and things of that nature and go to heaven without repentance. You've got to have that change of mind that is brought about by godly sorrow that produces a change in life. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but sorrow of the world worketh death. Godly sorrow. When you realize that you have sinned, you've been wrong, you've sinned against God Almighty. The Lord Jesus Christ you, it causes you to have godly sorrow, sorrow in your heart to the point that you want to change, you want to turn, you want to do something different, you want a different life. You want to try to make up for it somehow, some way. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 28 and 29, there's an illustration that Jesus gives there about true repentance. And he says, but what think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. Notice this. But afterward, he repented and went. You see, at first the son said, I'm not going to go work in your vineyard. But then he changed his mind. He repented and went. Repentance is a change of mind that produces a change of life. And Jesus said we must repent, Luke 13, 3, or else we'll be in the very same place and the people of the world will be in the very same place where the rich man is today. The church at Corinth repented. You remember in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul gives that long list of sins and you know he points out that such cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But then he says, and such were some of you, adulterers, fornicators, thieves, and all those type things, sinful, wicked people, but you're washed and you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And so he said, such were some of you. That means they had changed, right? Uh, somewhere along the line, they heard the truth. Uh, they were taught the truth and they changed their minds. They repented and obeyed the gospel. Number eight, our last point is this. We see from this story that the need to hear God's word is real. I cannot overemphasize the need of hearing God's word. The rich man's family had the words of Moses and the prophets. In verse 31, the Bible says, And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, at that particular time when the rich man Lazarus lived, the New Testament uh, had not been written. They were under the Old Testament, the law of Moses. And Abraham points out they've got the word of God. They need to hear the word of God. They need to hear Moses and the prophets. Well, that's what you have. Moses wrote the first five books. Then you have the books, the prophets, major and minor prophets. They had the Old Testament. They need to hear 
Moses and the prophets. They need to hear the word of God. The word of God must be heard. In John 6, verse 45, Jesus said, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. You've got to hear. Or you can't go to the Father. Because you have to hear the word to get the instructions and to get the faith that you need to obey the instructions that are found in God's word. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's why you've got to hear God's word. That's why they had to hear God's word. Because that's how faith comes. And you have to know the truth, John 8, 32, because that's what makes you free. And the truth is the word of God, John 17, 17. And Jesus said in John 12, 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. You know something that's always amazed me in this whole story is that last little bit that is mentioned in verse 31 where he says, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. I've been reading that passage for many years. And years ago, I used to think to myself, surely, surely, if someone's deceased loved one rose from the grave and went before a person and told them what we've just been reading, that this is real. Surely they would believe, right? Wouldn't they? You would think if people could come back from, from Tatars, or, or even if they could come back from, from paradise, to, to come and tell people how wonderful and how great and how it's real, it's real, it's real. But, but the Bible here says they would not be persuaded though one rose from the dead. And then I think about all the people in the lifetime of Jesus that witnessed all those miracles and they didn't believe. You remember what the people wanted to do to Jesus after he raised Lazarus from the dead? They, they witnessed that. Lazarus had been dead for four days when Jesus raised him from the dead and they wanted to kill Jesus. I don't understand that. Do you? You see, this is where faith and trust comes in. If the inspired word of God says that they would not be persuaded though one rose from the dead, I've got to go with what it says. What I think does not mean something is right. But what this grand old book says is exactly right. And so when Abraham told the rich man, you know, he understood what he was trying to do, get this beggar that they probably had all witnessed and all seen, they knew he was dead, but for him to return and then go preach to them, surely he thought, oh, they were just, oh, they were just all over. No, that's not what the Bible says. They wouldn't be persuaded. 
You know, today it's still true. Sometimes I've thought about, wouldn't it be nice if we had some kind of miraculous help to teach people? If we could do miracles or something to convince them, it wouldn't convince them. Nah. Listen, the Bible says, if this don't convince you, nothing will. That's what it says. And so when we think we need additional help, don't think like that. All we need is the gospel, the power of God to save. And really, you've studied it for many years. It's not that difficult, is it? Common people can understand what this book teaches that they have to do to be saved. But we can read to them and show them Luke 16. They don't really believe it. And they wouldn't believe it if the rich man or Lazarus came back to earth and preached the same message we're preaching. Yes, there is a need for hearing the word of God, and it's real. A man and a woman can't be saved without hearing the truth. But they've got to believe and not expect someone from the dead to come teach them. So the love of money is very real. Poverty is real. Death is real. We can see, we can see all these things, right? Hades is real. One's remembrance after this life is real. The need of evangelism is very real. In this day and time, I don't know of anything that, that our world needs more than, than evangelism. They need to be taught the gospel of Jesus. They've got to hear the word because if they don't hear the word, they surely will not repent. The rich man had two main requests. And I would imagine... If not all, most everyone that's in that same place today have the same two requests. You know how people are. The first thing we think about is ourselves as a general rule. So he wanted relief, didn't he? He just wanted a drop of cold water, just, just a drop of water placed on his tongue. That gives us some insight on how hot hell is. And how horrible. He didn't ask for a glass of ice water. He wanted, the, he wanted the very one that he refused to help to just put a drop of water on his tongue. Well, he didn't get any relief, did he? The answer was no. For those that are there, there's no second chances as people would have us to believe. And then his second request was for the few that he did love, his family. Send Lazarus to my father's house. Isn't it amazing how things had turned? The table had flipped. It was Lazarus at first begging. But then we see Lazarus is no longer begging. It's the rich man that's begging Lazarus for Lazarus to assist him. Listen, we need to be busy. <laughs> we need to be busy helping as many people as we can while we're here. I would hate to be in the rich man's shoes when I take my last breath and to be begging someone to help me because I'm in that terrible place. You know what I look forward to? And probably the most comforting 
part of this whole story to me is the Bible says that when Lazarus died, he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I'm sure we think about death from time to time. And that sense of the unknown frightens me to some degree. You're going to travel somewhere you've never traveled before in a way that you've never traveled. But I can tell you this, there's coming a moment in time in our lives, unless we're you know, killed in a car accident or something that's just sudden, we don't have time to think about it, but there's going to come a time in our lives when we're all going to know the end is very near. And we have to ask the question, where will the angels carry me? Every moment of every day, that time comes for people in this world, in this life. And it's going to come for us. Can you imagine being on your deathbed? Your life has been lived. And you're waiting for the angels. They will carry you to one of these two places in Hades to await for their judgment. At that time, you can't do all those things that you thought you was going to do and help all those people you wanted to help. And at that point in time, life will become very precious. You'll want more, but the time will be up. And your destiny will be sealed. I'm sure a lot of people would like for this to just be some parable or some fictitious story and not be real. But we can rest assured it's real. And the things that we talked about in the last two weeks are very real. And so we need to live our lives right now preparing for our last moment here when we are waiting for the angels of God. If you're here and you need to obey the gospel, won't you do so? Don't wait and wait and wait and take a risk and chances that one day you'll have time to make changes, get everything. Don't do that. Don't put off doing what you need to do today until some future time because it may not come. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, won't you do so this morning by believing that Jesus Christ is Son of God, repenting of all your sins, confessing Him before men to be the Son of God, and then be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. And then strive not to be like the rich man, but to be a faithful minister of God, serving and blessing those whom you may. And make sure that we're speaking up for God striving to get the gospel of those that are lost in sin so they'll not go to this terrible place that we've talked about. If you're here and you need to obey the gospel, you need to respond. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?